Hello, fellow kids, and welcome to episode 50 of Hello, Fellow Kids. Big 5-0? Big 5-0. When are we getting our AARP card? Um, There actually isn't an age limit on that. You can get that, like, now. What, what do I do with there. it, though? Oh, it gets you discounts. So I can be, like, like, 28 and going in and getting an AARP discount somewhere? Sure can. Yep. Until they change that rule. Huh. You hear that, kids? Sign up for AARP as soon as you can. Yeah, do it. I mean, maybe you couldn't do it if you were a child. I think you just set it up online. I don't think they like say, like, okay, how many wrinkles did you find this morning, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so this is the 50th episode. It's actually, like, it's actually, like, the 56th or 7th because of the ones that are outside of the, like, monthly numbered ones, but... As far we have done that, we have done this for fifty consecutive months. Is I guess the uh, the better way of. So we're a full we're we're over four years in then. We missed the four year celebration. I mean, every day is a celebration. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone listening to this, click. <laughs> Listen to this. This month we read Amari and the Night Brothers by B. B. Alston. Okay, you know how they're always like, this is the new such and such, and try to set everything up that way, like every new series? No one does that with this, and I'm so glad they didn't, because I would have entered it with a chip on my shoulder, because the instinct, because she ends up at, like, a squala with other magic children, they'd be like, Harry Potter. No, it is not Harry Potter. This is more like... If a kid came into the library and was like, I really liked Fablehaven, what else should I read? You could hand them this, and they won't be all like, don't give me this crap and throw it back. Like they would, they should if you offered like the Sisters Grimm series. No, this is what you need to read. Like I was as engaged with this as I ever was with Fablehaven, and I was just like, I think this might have to be our series that we, because remember you were expressing concerns that we will not have an ongoing series anymore once we wrap up uh, Catherine Arden's series, the Small Spaces series, and we've finished Fablehaven. So I think we have one. Uh, yeah. Unless you didn't like no, it. I, I, but... So while I was reading this, I was thinking, because like, I, I agree with you that it's really annoying when they say, like, it's the next Harry Potter. But like in a way, it is, but not in the way that they try to sell people on it. And it, in my head, like Harry Potter was, like, there was, like, a generation of kids who were all, like, you know, I'm a Ravenclaw, I'm a Hufflepuff. And then Percy Jackson was, like, you know, I would have been the child of Poseidon. I would have been the child of of Zeus. I could see kids doing that for this and, like, talking about the different departments they would have been sorted into. Or, like, the what their ability, like, what, what their aptitude would have been. In this, there's so much variety of, it's, like, that joke I told you about on Tumblr, where they were joking, they're like, Hogwarts had all the kids, brave, sneaky, smart, and miscellaneous. <laughs> like, there's, there's like, more in this, I mean, we'll get into it later, there's so many different departments, and so many different choices, so it's just like, wow, you actually have options? There's, like, an array of, like, stuff you could be interested in? It isn't just like, alright, these are the four houses, now you're gonna play this very dangerous game that I don't think anyone should be playing, and here we go! I don't know how popular it is. I don't. I can't gauge the scope of that too well yet because the series just started, like you know, last year. Um, this deserves to get pretty big. I think. You think it does too? 
I really want it to because I was just like, this is actually good. <laughs> what are we feeling okay? Like this is like really good because I mean we've read good stuff, but yeah. like so often lately we've been like it was solid. It was it was pretty solid, you know, kind of this like not quite damning with faint praise, but just we're like it was fine. I didn't throw up, so we're okay. But like this was one where I was just like I genuinely super liked this. Where if you'd been all like I don't want to read any more in this series, I'd have read it on my own like for serious. Like I'm just gonna keep keep going with this series because I really really liked it. Yeah, no, I'm already like I'm already like eyeing our upcoming books and uh, <laughs> trying to figure out like when we're gonna squeeze the second one in. Like I I don't think it was a perfect book. It wasn't like my favorite book we've read for this, but I am I'm really excited to see where it goes. I think that the author is really talented at setting up this world, um, and I think the characters are really engaging. And I had I had a lot of fun. I, I was talking to Mara about I um I am Mara. Yeah, thank you. Um, I was addressing our listeners. I thought you were telling me. I was just like, I, you might be thinking of someone else, because I am Mara. I was talking to Mara about how I had waited until I finished reading the entire book to write my synopsis, and that kind of was a hindrance in how much writing I had to do, because a lot happens in this book. But the reason why I waited was because I was having so much fun reading, I didn't want to have to, like, stop and take a bunch of extra notes. I was like, I just wanted, yeah. like, it's just really fun. I took that as a good sign when you said that. You're like, I didn't do the synopsis, I just read it. I'm like, oh, crap. I've done that, too, when the book was really good, where I'm just like, I'm just gonna keep reading. Oh, no, I have a lot to... But, yeah, this, this it's super fun. It's like this fun world... Like, at first, I was like, I don't know about this. It was like the magical people wearing dumb clothes. And I was just like, uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. Like, you know, like, <laughs> I'm getting red flags. But, but like, just power through that part. Like, because it was a little too similar, like, Harry Potter with, like, the wizards don't know how to dress like normal people. Apparently, they can't just, like, look at the people around them and be like, maybe I shouldn't wear a purple top hat, you know? <laughs> Yeah, the more it goes on, the more it really establishes its own identity, and it really wins you over. Totally. So, and um, at the, I read the author's note at the end where he said this was like the book of my heart, and I was like, I could tell he wasn't just like, okay, what uh trends can I jump on, and you know, what vibe am I trying to like emulate here so I can have a successful series? Like some of the series that you and I have like attempted to start and then been like, no, I don't want to go on. Right. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's super good. I had a good time, and I usually don't try and read like the the like here's the snippet of what the next book is. I was like, oh, and I started reading like a little bit of it, and I go, oh, it's spoilers. I don't I don't really know what spoilers. So I stopped <laughs> reading it, but then I was just like, but don't you want to read it? I'm like, yeah, I do, but I want the whole book because I didn't want to like read that and then be all like, okay, now where's the second book? <laughs> Present it to me. <laughs> And then, like, grilling him, like, how many books are going to be in the series? So, yeah, uh, had a lot of fun with it. Uh, next month, we're going to be reading. <laughs> <laughs> no, we've got a lot to talk about. This book is, it's barely 400 pages. I mean, 400 is still substantial, but it's, like, right at around 400 pages, and it is middle grade formatting, but there's a lot. So we're going to yeah. have to dive into this, because it's, there's a lot. <laughs> There's a lot. It's like Fablehaven a lot where like everything's tied together. So yeah, there's no like throwaway chapter of, and then they made soup, you know, like the yeah. book that will not be named. <laughs> oh 
<laughs> That's probably my favorite chapter synopsis I've ever written, though. <laughs> okay. Are you ready? I am ready. Twelve-year-old Amari Peters is sitting in the principal's office, waiting for her world to come crashing down. Amari is an exceptional student at an illustrious academy, but she's not a legacy kid like most of the others. No, she's there on a scholarship, and right now it's about to be taken away. Because she's not like other kids, uh, she's not just low income, she's also black, um, she has been the target of frequent bullying. It finally reached ahead when Amari retaliated with violence, and because the school doesn't actually want to solve the issue of bullying, they have one of those stupid zero-tolerance policies where she's punished as equally as the instigator. Her scholarship is being revoked, and because her single mother can't afford to pay tuition otherwise, she's effectively expelled. This is obviously hard on both Amari and her mother, but it's compounded by the fact that Amari's perfect older brother, Quentin, has been missing for months. He was literally the perfect boy, smart, kind, hardworking, and he took on a mysterious job that he couldn't talk about. Naturally, when he went missing, the police assumed he got mixed up in gangs or drugs or something, but Amari knows that's not true. He's too smart for that. But whatever the case, the Peters household has been through a lot, and this might be the last straw. Amari goes home shattered and logs onto Quentin's old laptop, which she has been doing for from time to time, to try and find some clue as to where he went. Suddenly, a strange email arrives, saying a package will be arriving for Amari in three, two, one... Ding dong! Amari goes to the door and finds a strange yet kind man who informs her that there's a package for her, and has already been delivered to Quentin's closet. Amari goes upstairs and finds a briefcase with a note in Quentin's handwriting, saying it will open at midnight. Amari waits out the day, and the suitcase opens to reveal a pair of sunglasses and a note to lie down and put them on. She does so, and suddenly hears Quentin's voice. She opens her eyes and sees her brother standing there, telling her to follow him to the roof. She does, and floating up there is a flying boat. Quentin takes her aboard, and they fly out over the water. Amari is naturally confused. Quentin explains that she's experiencing an interactive recording called A Wakeful Dream, and that there's a whole world out there that Amari isn't aware of yet. As proof, they fly over lights shining in the ocean, which are the railways of Atlantis. Quentin is a part of this world, and if she received the package with this dream, he has either been declared missing or dead by his employer, an employer that Amari will be meeting very soon. The next day, Amari opens the envelope that was in the suitcase with the shades and finds an official nomination for her and an address to visit. It's odd, but if it was Quentin's idea, she trusts it. She seeks out while her mom is at work and runs into Jaden. Jaden is a kid that Quentin used to tutor, but he's fallen on hard times and gotten himself mixed up with a local gang. Jaden is still a good guy, just in a bad place. Amari tells him that she can't really explain what she's doing or where she's going, but that she might have a lead to finding Quentin. He smiles at this, and Amari hopes he doesn't do anything to wreck his life too much before she finds her brother. Amari arrives at the address and finds a huge skyscraper in the city. She goes in and heads to the basement as instructed, where she meets Mr. Barnabas Ware, an eccentric man with a fascination for the fashionable suit Quinton left Amari to wear. He asks Amari if she is willing to accept whatever comes next if she's let in on the secret of what this all means, and she says yes. Bam. She's now a member of the Bureau of Supernatural Affairs. The Bureau is a sort of catch-all organization for the interaction, protection, and research of the unexplainable and magical, which they keep separate from the normal world as much as possible. Amari is going to be part of their summer training program, and once she's 18, she'll be able to join as a full member in one of a number of departments. Before she begins her training, Barnabas must test her aptitude, which will grant her a baseline badge level that will help determine the training she is eligible for. He produces a mouth thermometer for this process, and as soon as it enters her mouth, 
It maxes out and shatters. Interesting. Bartimus gives Amari a starter kit and a new address to report to the next evening. Um, when I saw the address mm-hmm. for where she needed to go, I was just like, oh shit, she has to figure out how to get to Georgia. And then I realized we weren't in Vermont anymore. <laughs> I was like, oh, she actually, she's already in Georgia. Okay. <laughs> she's already there. She's fine. I was just like, she has to figure out how to get there on her own steam and be back in the same afternoon so her mom doesn't know she went out. Ow. So that was like a fun realization. Just like, oh, okay. She's in, she's in probably in the Atlanta area. It's nice to have something that takes place in not Manhattan for that sort of thing also. Yeah, for real. The the default would have been like, we're hiding out in the big city. The big, big city. The big, the big, 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 big city. <laughs> you know, the one. <laughs> and we go, yeah, Toronto. And someone's like, no. <laughs> I was already making notes by page 13 when the... Uh, the package is delivered to Quentin's old closet. Uh, I was like, oh, this is fun. Like, I was already on board with, like, the quirkiness of it. So I was pretty excited already. I got on board pretty fast, but I was just yeah. like, oh, it's like a poor kid who lives with, like, a single mother who works in the works in medicine. Like, yeah, that's how I grew up. So I'm already right there. It's like, <laughs> yeah, the, the mom who can't afford a whole lot and... So you just know not to ask for things and, you know, all that. So I was just kind of like nodding, just like, yep, this is it. And it's like, I think sometimes when they write like, okay, this is going to be a poor character, they overdo the poor or, you know, they got their idea for what poor is from like Dickens and like don't know anything else. But this was, this was more realistic. Yeah. Cause it's like, yeah, they're poor, but there is a laptop. I mean, it's old, but you know. Yeah. It's not like she's like, boy, it'd be really nice to see a computer someday, you know? Right, it's like, I sure would some of these love people... a second pair of socks. Yeah, that's some of these young young uh, adult authors, just, it, they, don't, they don't do it right. Yeah, this, this felt authentic. There's even a thing later that reminds me of uh, the realization of how expensive it can be to be poor. When... Yeah, there's lots of little things... Um, but anyway, what was your example for oh, this? Well, I'll, I'll I'll go into it. I I think it's in my notes. Uh, but when her mom has to take out like a a paycheck Ooh, loan or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, we, we'll talk about that when we get to it because yeah. like, I have a lot to say about that. Yeah, yeah. So she's looking at the uh, the nomination, and um, there's a whole bunch of warnings to not read it. <laughs> Only for the person this is intended to. And you have to wrap, if it's not for you, you have to, like, wrap it in three yellow blankets and, like, really, really specific instructions. Mm-hmm. Uh, reading this file... like, I wouldn't do this. Reading this file without the proper per- without the proper permissions may result in any number of dire consequences that include, but are not limited to, death by bottomless pit, being locked inside a metal canister and shot into space, being fed to a certain creature in a certain underwater lair that shall, for the purpose of keeping its existence a secret, remain nameless. <laughs> I, I yeah, was, I'd I was be like, I just drop it on. I would just drop it on the ground. Be like, never mind. I, did, I didn't find this. <laughs> I don't know what this is. <laughs> I don't want any part of this. I don't want to try and track down three yellow blankets. I don't know why I'm the most hung up on that. Just like, where are you gonna find one yellow blanket? Like <laughs> three? I don't even know if I've ever seen a yellow blanket. So I was just like. No. <sighs> Barnabas is going on about a bunch of, like, basically 
being like, yeah, there's a whole magical world. And he's just kind of talking about some stuff off the cuff. And he mentions the great bug conflict of 69. And I am curious, is that how we lost the Beatles? Because isn't that the year they broke up? I'm going to look it up because it's either 69 or 70. And if it's 69, I'd be very happy. Uh, oh, what was it? The great bug. What was it? The great bug war. The great bug conflict of 1969. How funny I survived would that be? I survived the great bug conflict <laughs> of 1969, and it's a terrified child on the front with like ants, just like with swords or something. They did break up in '70. Darn it. Oh well. Yeah. I'm, I think that that was just a result of the fallout from from the the great bug conflict. Right. It didn't help. Yeah. Okay, so there's a whole list of badge ranks that you could have as, like, your baseline aptitude. What rank do you think you would end up at? It goes, starts, like, the high end is gold, silver, bronze, and then it goes all the way down to cardboard, aluminum foil, notebook paper. (laughs) Yeah, and he tells her, like, I think you're going to be cardboard, and she looks at Cedas toward the bottom, she's like, okay, and she thinks this is just, like, another microaggression, but I was like, you are really young and new to this, so yeah. maybe you would be gold. I don't know. <laughs> or maybe it was one. I don't know. But so what is the badge? It represents your current potential, intelligent, bravery, curiosity. Okay. I don't know. Probably like put myself around maybe stone or glass. I was I was like, looking at it and I was like, as long as I hit glass, I would I think I'd be OK for that as like a like a baseline. I think that's where I'm at. Like, I'm not super brave. And I'm not that smart. I mean, that's pretty obvious if you listen to this podcast enough. <laughs> but, like, but I'm curious enough. I'm pretty nosy, so maybe that'll keep me in the keep me in the running. I would have been plastic, but all my gossip bags bumped me up. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> she's always following up on stuff, so that's really good. It's like, yeah, but she's following up on bullcrap. Like, so <laughs> just steer her in the right direction. She's a solid glass. How bad would you feel if you were the notebook paper, though? I know, right? I'd, I would just not go to that. I'd be like, never mind. It's just, this is a waste of time. <laughs> yeah, that would suck. I but I, guys I, need... I did like that they emphasized the fact that it's like, this is just a baseline. This doesn't mean that, like, this has, doesn't really say anything about, like, where you can someday go. Because I think the, like... One of the directors talks about being a really low rank initially. Yeah. But still, that's real disheartening. Right oh, yeah, for sure. It's like if the Sorta Cat was just like, squib! Like, yeah, what? has that happened? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so, because you wouldn't have gotten your letter, right? That is an excellent point. But what if, like, you forged one, so then, like, your parents thought you totally were in? And then you bought all the stuff, and you're like, well, the sorting hat will put me somewhere. And then that's when the hat goes, squib! <laughs> and then they're all like, how did this happen? She got a letter, didn't she? And maybe, because I don't, Dumbledore wasn't the kind of person who would have been, like, standing at the gates, like, making sure right. everyone who got a letter is there, you know? I don't know, this is a dumb conversation. <laughs> this is exactly what stone badges would talk about. <laughs> I was just thinking, even if you do get, like, squibbed at the Sword of Cat, there's still, like, a 30% chance they'll put you in Hufflepuff anyways. Oh, that's such a... We're gonna get really angry emails. All my best friends are Hufflepuff. Hufflepuffs. <laughs> All my best friends are... I can say that. All my best friends are <laughs> <laughs> Okay, are you ready for the next chunk? 
Yeah, let's do this. Okay. Amari calls her mom and tells her that she's been nominated for the summer camp that Quentin used to attend and gives her a number provided by the Bureau for her to call. While her mom looks into this, Amari uses some eye drops from the starter kit, which allows her to see the paranormal as it exists without glamour and all that. Amari's mom comes home with a new phone for Amari, even though they can't really afford it, and other supplies for Amari's new summer camp. Mama is thrilled as the camp will allow Amari another chance at a scholarship. She drives Amari to the bureau, which is inside the massive Vanderbilt Hotel. On the way, Amari flips through a book of careers and realizes uh, that Quinton was probably a special agent for the Department of Supernatural Investigations. Now she knows what path she's going to be going for. At the hotel, Amari meets Agent Magnus, a gruff fellow on the outside, but a big softy inside. He takes Amari inside and they step aboard Lucy, one of the Bureau's many talking elevators, and head to Amari's dorm. Amari meets Bertha, the dorm monitor, who is gruff on the outside, but also gruff on the inside. <laughs> she meets Elsie Rodriguez, her new roommate. Elsie is a bubbly girl, an inventor, and also a were-dragon. Well, kind of. She hasn't experienced a transformation yet, and effectively just exists as a regular human, but with the added bonus of being able to see people's auras and gauge their emotions from it. She's also a huge fan of Vanquish, the celebrity special agent duo made up of Maria Van Helsing and, of course, Quinton Peters. Most notably, Vanquish recently captured Moreau, one of the two ancient and legendary Knight Brothers, who are evil magicians that waged war on all non-magicians. The other Knight Brother, Vladimir, is long dead, but rumors have been swirling of another magician existing somewhere, which is concerning because despite paranormal creatures being the norm... Magic humans are known as universally evil and dangerous. Also, turns out Quentin isn't the only person missing. Maria vanished alongside him. This is a lot to take in, but Amari needs to focus on her own entry into the Bureau first. The next morning, the new recruits gather for their badge ceremony. Chief Director Elizabeth Crow introduces herself, and also the ceremony, wherein each recruit will come up and receive their starting badge level, and then touch a crystal ball that will enhance their current talents into paranormal abilities. The ceremony goes in order of rank, and once there are only three left, Amari realizes just how powerful she is. There are two gold badges, Dylan and Laura Van Helsing, uh, younger siblings of Maria, and, like most kids of the Bureau, part of a legacy family. Dylan gets physics-defying aim for his ability, and Laura gets superhuman athleticism. Then Amari is called up. She's received the Moonstone Badge, a rank so high that they don't even bother listing it on the ranking scale. She's only the 14th person to ever receive it, and the last person was Quentin himself. She goes up and touches the ball, which smokes and cracks. Then it announces her ability. She is a magician, and she is illegal. Okay, so what we were going to talk about is uh, the mom shows up with all the supplies, mm -hmm. and Amari's kind of looking at, like, how did you afford this? And she's like, I went to the the payday loan place, and I was I just went like, no, out loud, because those places, if, if you guys don't know, you borrow, yeah, you b borrow what it, basically what it sounds like. Like, you, I think you have to bring in a copy of your pay stub or whatever, and they loan you what your paycheck would have been. And that sounds all well and good, but then there's interest that you have to, because you have to pay it back, and there's, like, interest on top of it, and we're not talking, like, 5%. It's, like, a million and 35%. And they're just scummy, horrible places, and I don't know why they're allowed to exist. I think they should all be shut down. They're disgusting. Yeah, there are a lot of services that are specifically designed, it seems, to keep 
poor people poor. Oh, yeah, and so. this is the most blatant. Yeah. But sometimes you just are so desperate enough that you really need that money now that you do it. It's rough. Yeah. I hate it. Yeah. Um, and it's like, I'm not, I'm not judging uh, anyone who uses those no, services. It's just I'm that... judging the freaking things for existing. Exactly. I'm judging the people who allow, all the, all, everybody who allows it to happen, all the laws are like, well, it's, uh, you know, it's fine to me. It's really predatory. And I think it's actually, they're pretty prevalent around neighborhoods like Amari's. So it's even more scummy because you're not going to see one of those payday loans in, uh, places next to a Starbucks in like a very nice shopping district where people go to like go to Whole Foods and then what go there to pick. No, you're not going to see it there. Right. Uh, it's so predatory. I hate it. Uh, yeah, I was just like, ah, oh, <laughs> now something to be mad about. <laughs> I was like, I was having fun with this book for a while. This is almost a little too real for me right now. It's pretty real. But, yeah. Yeah. But the mom said she had some money saved up. So she could pay it off. But I was like, why didn't you use that money you saved up to buy this then instead of going into the, but whatever, just, she was reassuring her kid that, you know, we're not going to end up in the hole again. We'll be fine. Yeah. But you need this, you need this stuff for school. Yeah. And she did. She needed a phone. Like, mm-hmm. unfortunately that's, you, you do need that in this day and age. I thought she'd be calling her mom more. She had the phone, like to kind of check in, like, Oh, we did this today. We had a team building exercise. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was great. So when her mom is like, let me let me talk to the camp. And there's like a whole there's a whole like area of the bureau that is specifically for communicating with the non magical people and like having a, a dedicated cover story is basically like that's the the pamphlet that Amari gets sent home with. Um, yeah. So I wonder if she was like, ah, I I'm not good at lying to her, like, long-term. I don't know if I can... It might be better to just, like, not talk to her too much, because I can, I can lie with the script that they've given me. I don't know how long I can keep it up otherwise. Right, um, yeah. But um, the, the idea of having the, like, the pamphlet, it reminded me of a story idea that I had been... It's, it's a story idea that I still work on periodically, but it's evolved a lot over the years, and that was an element of it that was present in, like, an earlier version I don't know if that's like if I got it from somewhere else as well, but um, when I saw it in here, I was like, "Oh, that sounds that's familiar," but like in a in a good way of like, I do like that idea. I'm glad I get to see it implemented. She's looking through the like career options, and the Department of Supernatural Investigations has a list of noteworthy agents, and some of them are obvious. Like Quentin is in there, um, Sherlock Holmes is in there. Uh, Captain Ahab, and then my favorite is Dr. Jekyll slash Mr. Hyde, part-time researcher, part-time agent. Yeah. <laughs> I was kind of looking at that, like, I was expecting Amari to be like, these people aren't real, but she didn't say that. So she, I was like, oh, so like... a lot of so it that like, it seems like she kind of takes in stride. So I was like, this exi- well, that makes me think then that, like, Sherlock Holmes was a real person in this universe. Yeah. As is Captain Ahab. So I was like, okay, so this is like a shared universe then. <laughs> oh, and, you know, the whole, like, and Abraham Van Helsing being real, and, um, you know. Yeah. Whoa, are you subscribed to Dracula Daily? What? There's this thing that everybody is like, everybody on Tumblr joined, and it's called Dracula Daily, and you sign up and you get a daily, because um, I don't know if you ever read Dracula, but it's an epistolary novel, so, like, it's all just letters with like the date on it 
So someone got the idea to like email you each day of a letter in the book. So you, so you get it in the mail. Oh, so like if email. it was if it was dated like April fifteenth in the book, then when April fifteenth rolls around, you get it, it mailed to you. Yeah, that's fun. But it actually started May third, so, and and then like I found out about it on like the seventh, so then that's when I hopped on. Okay. So it's not too late to jump in. That's a fun way of doing it. I was just like, that's fun. Okay, yeah. I'm in. That reminds me, I want to set it up so that cat like like at the start of a calendar year, I basically read over the course of several books events that happened like every day of the year. So like find a bunch of books that have specific dates for their chapters and then read them in such a way that all like I'm only reading the stuff that would have happened that day. Oh, okay. What do you think your oh, enhanced uh... ability? What's my enhanced ability? Yeah. I don't even know what my, I don't even know what my talent is. <laughs> I don't know, constantly eating. And then she's like, she's gonna eat more. And you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what, I don't think I have any talents. Oh. <laughs> maybe, well maybe like what I said, like my, my nosiness. And then maybe I end up being a spy or something. I don't know. <laughs> like excellent spy powers. So I'm like hiding behind shit like really elaborately. Like I'm, that scene in Adam's Family Values when, like, Wednesday's standing up against the wall and she's painted exactly like the wallpaper pattern. Like, <laughs> I'm like that. <laughs> when Amari shows up to the camp, I was like, it's so funny, it's a camp, but it's, like, in a hotel. Mm -hmm. So I was just kind of that the whole time, like, okay, yeah, camp hotel, sure. <laughs> but um, when she shows up and the lady's like, it's lights out. And I'm like, it's like 6 p.m. What if she hadn't had dinner yet? Like, is she going to bed hungry? What time are they getting up in the morning? This sounds horrible. <laughs> I don't want lights out at six. I'm going to be laying there forever. Oh, my God. And then I, during, for this ceremony, for every kid comes up one at a time, it's like, all right, you are the, the goldfish badge. Touch this rock. You know, and I'm just like, that's going to get so boring. <laughs> How many kids are there? Sounds horrible. I guess it kind of is like the sorting hat, but it felt like there was like more to it. The sorting hat seemed like it'd go a little bit quicker. Right. And I think even in the book, they said like, oh, God, here we go. You know? Yeah. Monotonous. I bet, all, I like, bet some of the legacy kids. kids had already been like placing bets on what the different like abilities were going to be. But some of the abilities are pretty cool. Yeah. I did. I did feel bad for the girl who got like, super organizational skills I'm like oh man but then when they give an example of like yeah if you drop all your papers on the ground it takes you two seconds to get them back together again i'm like oh that's actually that's not bad okay right yeah i don't think you'd lose anything ever again you wouldn't be like oh i misplaced something it's like no you didn't but yeah i usually always think of like what how how long is this gonna be <laughs> <laughs> this is gonna be so boring. And then the longer they don't call your name, the more like anxiety just ratchets up more and more. And you're like, I don't. Can we just? Right. I thought it was weird to start with like the low. I was like, wouldn't like these richy rich muckety muck people care more about their stupid kids getting their dumb badge? Like, so wouldn't they make like the higher badges go first? You know? Yeah. I figured it would go that way, especially since like friggin' like press is here for some reason. Yeah, but rich people also like drama, so, like, 
having having it build up to them and being like, I am what you have all been waiting for. You saw the opening act. Now watch me with my skills. And it's like, magic air guitar skills. And he's like, no! Dude, wouldn't that be crazy if concerts were structured backwards, where, like, the big band is, like, the first one, and then you have to, like, go on after them and be like, did anyone stick around? Does anyone want to hear me? And the person who could play second, they can only play one song, and it's closing time. (laughs) I just, I, like, looked at my notes, and I started laughing at a line that I forgot I'd written. Mm Mm-hmm. Where, um, right after she get it's like her talents revealed as dormant magic, enhanced to active magician, illegal. Then the stone cracks, and I wrote, is that, is that supposed to happen? <laughs> and I wish she'd had a line like that, like, is that good? Because <laughs> then I would have just did, laughed my ass off. Did, did I do it? <laughs> just, did I do it? But now it's legal, right? Like, why would you give this to me if it's not, if it's not legal? I just pictured that, um, I just pictured that old, uh, Bo Burnham vine where he's like, I'm gonna change this card from red to black. And he flicks it. And then he's replaced with a black guy. He's like, did it work? Did you, did oh, you ever see that one? Be... No. Oh yeah, it's, it's pretty good. My other thing that this, that reminded me of was, uh, it was this tweet where a guy, like, says, like, he's at a, um, getting his fortune told. And the person turns over the tarot card and it's like, a guy in a hot air balloon heading for some, uh, heading for some electric wires. And the guy, and he goes, me, is, is that good? <laughs> like, what part of that would be? <laughs> anyway, yeah, let's move on. This is a long book and we're not even a quarter of the way into it. We are not. <laughs> I just lifted up the book. <laughs> we're not. Okay. Amara is quickly shuffled into a room with several members of the Bureau who discuss what should be done. One of those people is Director Van Helsing, head of the Department of Supernatural Investigations, and the father of Maria, Dylan, and Laura. From this meeting, Amari comes to learn that magicians never existed before the Knight Brothers, who discovered a way to fill themselves with more magic than any other creature naturally has. Nowadays, magicians are created by other magicians, sort of like how vampires work. But Amari has had no contact with a magician, as far as anyone knows, meaning she may have been born with it. Or maybe it's Maybelline. Whatever the case, this is very odd. They also realize that she is specifically an illusionist. Because the crystal ball actually isn't damaged at all. It was just her illusion, Michael. I wrote that in my notes like 500 yeah! times. Yeah! <laughs> I wrote illusion, Michael, every time illusion comes up. Every time I wrote Quentin's name, I also thought of Quentin Reviews, and I'm wondering when uh, the Sam and Cat video is going to come out. Thanks to Quentin's reputation and a reading by Agent Fiona, who can sense people's intentions, she is eventually allowed to stay in the Bureau for the time being. However, she will be kept on a short leash until she proves she can be trusted. Amari is taken back to where the other recruits are watching presentations on the different departments, after which they submit their requests for the ones they'd like to join. Elsie takes a liking to the Department of Magical Science, while Amari, of course, has her sights set on becoming a special agent. She heads back to the dorm with Elsie, and fills Elsie in a bit on her not-much-of-a-plan-yet to find Quinton. That evening, they attend a party with the other recruits. There, Lara Van Helsing invites Amari to join her group, where she learns that rich white kids are the same no matter where you go. Frustrated with the way they treat her, Amari accidentally creates a fire illusion, which of course doesn't go over well. 
Elsie takes her away from the other girls and helps install an app on her phone that allows her access to the magical web, or the other net. Then Dylan Van Helsing finds Amari and tells her his father's looking for her. He takes her out of the party and reveals that he actually wants to help Amari find Quentin and Maria. Unlike his sister, he doesn't look down on Amari. He even knows who took their siblings, an apprentice of Moreau. Then director Van Helsing finds the kids conspiring. When he learns that Amari is going out for the investigations department, he warns her that it will be very difficult and Quentin only got in easily because his gift is literally super genius aptitude. Furthermore, if she fails, she won't be invited back to the bureau next year, what with her being an illegal magician and all. As Amari heads off, she gets an other net message from a user called Magician Girl 18 telling her she's not alone. The next day, Amari goes on a tour of the Department of Supernatural Investigations, and when Fiona tries to provoke her into quitting, Amari doubles down on her resolve, which is exactly what Fiona wanted. Fiona gives the group a rundown of the stages of tryouts and warns them that of the 32 candidates, only four will become junior agents. The first step is a supernatural knowledge exam, and Amari scores a 4 out of 100, because, you know, she didn't know about any of this until last week. The test is more of a baseline, though, so she's not cut or anything. Amari gets another message from Magician Girl 18, who tells her if Amari can keep a secret, she'll let her in on some info about Moreau soon. Not long after, Amari is called into Director Crow's office. The director is going to let Amari speak to the captured Moreau. It's dangerous, but they haven't been able to get anything out of Moreau and wonder if another magician might loosen his tongue. Amari is eager to help, and soon finds herself in another part of the Bureau, Blackstone Prison. She is taken to Moreau's cell, where the evil magician introduces himself and, after some banter, offers to trade questions with Amari. She wonders how she'll know if he's being truthful, and Moreau says there will be only one lie between them, and he's already told it. Moreau tells Amari that there are hundreds of magicians out there, and that the rest of the world doesn't stand a chance against them, or their army of human-animal hybrids, which have been attacking paranormal strongholds and safe houses for some time. Moreau offers to teach Amari how to be a magician, but she refuses. Their meeting ends, and Amari reports back to the Bureau. Moreau has raised more questions in Amari than he's answered, but she still has to work on becoming an agent. Her next lesson is with Sky Sprints, which are shoes that let you walk through the air. She isn't as good as Laura, but she does all right with them. Amari continues to message Magician Girl 18, and they agree to meet in person soon. So I have so many Silence of the Lambs references written down for her meeting. For the meeting, yeah. Uh-huh, yep. Yeah. Yeah, I wrote, I wrote in like him like I'll answer a question if you answer a question, and I wrote quid pro quo, Clarice. I like that the humor in this is like it's not all the same note. So like there's some stuff that is quirky, odd events that are occurring, and some of them are like dumb puns and stuff. Like when there's the meeting about what to do with Amari, there's Director Crypt of the Department of the Dead, Director Focus of uh, the Department of Magical Science. I feel like there was one more, but like there, there, there are a good number of just really stupid puns that I appreciate. Oh, she's talking about how the whole idea of her being watched because she's a magician reminds her of back at her old school when people pay like were keeping an eye on her because she was black, and how uh, she surprised her scholarship interviewers yeah. with how she could speak so well. God, that's people pretty, suck. Yeah, it's a pretty common no, micro. I, I know it is, and that I hate the, it. <laughs> a lot of people were saying it about Obama. It's like, he's so articulate, and you're kind of like look, side-eyeing them a little bit. I remember saying that myself back in 2008, and I didn't 
realize it was a racial dog whistle, but I was mostly saying it because our pre- president previous to him had not been articulate. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> it was yeah. just like cool. Someone's in charge. He sounds like he knows what he's doing. Yeah, it's <laughs> That's like a relief. it. It could be a race thing, but also if you look at the presidents on either side of him, it's also just true in general. <laughs> yeah, it that in that particular instance was context. But, like, for uh, Amari, yeah, yeah, it was uh, really gross. Yeah. Um, oh, here, here's some more of them when she goes back to the presentations of the departments. Director Rub Ish from the Department of Half-Truths and Full Cover-Ups. And two grumpy old men from the Department of the Unexplained tell us absolutely nothing at all about what they do on principle. <laughs> <laughs> two grumpy old men. Did you immediately picture the... the- Two guys from the Muppets. Yeah. Who said? <laughs> I'll, I'll be honest. I didn't picture they it when would. I was reading, but as soon as you said, "Did you picture?" I knew what reference you were about to make, so then I pictured them. Well, who else are you gonna picture when you think of two grumpy old men? I know that there was a film called Grumpy Old Men starring uh, starring uh, Jack Lemmon and um, Walter Matthau, but come on, who really saw that <laughs> of our listening audience? Because <laughs> that movie, Grumpy Old Men, came out like. 1993 or 4 maybe so I was a kid and you would have been an infant if you were even here yet so yeah <laughs> he may not have even arrived Ma- yet maybe it, it depends on how early in 93 it came out if it came out that year yeah so how many red flags did uh Dylan set off with you or did I you was, like I was three months old when it came out um I so fact checking in real time. I went back and forth with Dylan because at first I was like, "Oh, it's the like I was you know like the Van Helsing's." It's like it's the Draco Malfoy. That's a bummer. And then it was like, "Oh, he's actually going to be helpful." And then it like kept reiterating that, and I was like, "Ooh, this is kind of refreshing. This is interesting. I like this dynamic." And I don't want necessarily talk about that too much more, but like I'm usually more willing to take some of that stuff at face value if I feel like it's engaging to be taken at face value um and i liked i liked how their dynamics was working um so i wasn't necessarily like getting red flags oh i was i was collecting them like prizes maybe not so much at first but i don't know it was just the everything adding up i was but um i didn't think she was dumb for not noticing it right but i was i was just kind of like i don't i don't know it was just like small things he did that like kind of reveals a not quite as nice nature, particularly during their like first uh, tryout, which we'll get to. And then there were like a couple more incidents where I was like, I don't know about this kid. This kid seems like bad news. I kind of preferred Lara because you know where you're at with her. It's just like, shouldn't like you. That's it. Full stop. Like, okay. I liked when Amari kind of finally just confronted her, like, okay, no one likes magicians. Why are you still making this your personal mission to be mean to me? Mm-hmm. And then she's like, your brother made my sister go on a bit bit bit. like, how's, okay, cool. How's that my fault? <laughs> it's like, did you not know that he's 10 years older than me? And he doesn't consult me with what he does for his job, that we didn't even know what he was doing? I had no idea. Like, how is this my fault? So I was kind of like, I didn't really like how Mari's like, oh, I didn't, I didn't know that, and like, got all like, you know, kind of shrunk up under the face of Lara's like anger, and I was like, that's still not justified, but uh, feelings are not rational. So, yeah, 
I liked that Amari wasn't playing games when she was filling out her, like, top five favorite departments. She just put... junior agent. Like, that's it. Bam. Leave the other four spots empty. Because that's how I applied to college. Is that what you did? Uh, yeah, I just applied to UW Seattle, and I was like, that's it. I'm just going there. go back up school? And you're like, no, that's what I'm doing. Yeah. It's this or nothing. I'm like, okay. I applied to two schools, and I got into both, so. Sick. So we both had a 100% approval rating. Hundo P. Shout out to Cassie. I like the shoesies, where you run around the shoesies. Yeah, Uh uh-huh. Yep. That sounds very fun. That sounds so much more fun than, like, that overly complicated game with with the... Why can't I not remember the name for Broomstick? There we go. Quidditch? <laughs> yeah. I was trying not to make another Harry Potter reference, so I was going to obliquely mention it. Just say that overly complicated game with the Broomsticks. I think the running with the shoes is way funner. Okay. Anyway. Amari's class the next day is an immersion session where the group sits down with supernatural creatures, boogie people in this case, and talks with them to learn about their culture and how they work. When Lara brings up that boogie people were originally created by the Knight Brothers, the, the boogie person notices notices Amari is a magician and bows before her. Awkward. After class, Amari heads up into the Vanderbilt Hotel and meets with Magician Girl 18, who turns out to be Dylan Van Helsing. It turns out Amari isn't the only magician in the Bureau. The Van Helsings are actually a family full of mu- full of magicians, but have been covering it up for generations. Dylan is an illusionist like Amari, but also possesses some technological magic that lets him access computers and the like. He lets Amari borrow a spellbook by a magician named Madame Violet so Amari can hone her powers. She takes it back to her dorm and learns how to dispel illusions, but Lara catches her practicing magic and takes a video. She tells Amari to quit junior agent training, or Lara will leak the video and get Amari kicked out entirely. Amari goes to Magnus's office to quit, and finds him on a date with Agent Fiona, who tells Amari to sleep on it. It just so happens that the next day is the first tryout exam, where the recruits pair up to solve a waking dream challenge. Amari and Dylan form a team naturally, and find themselves in a fortress surrounded by a desert. They must locate the basement and retrieve the most valuable item there. The pair proceeds towards the basement, ignoring a scary-looking zombie who is just putting flowers in a vase, and then attacking a monster disguised as a scared recruit. Not everything is as it seems here. They reach the basement and find four treasures on pedestals. As they approach the last item in the line, a crown, a thumping comes from a nearby door. Amari takes the crown, and the door opens, rushing water into the basement and revealing a massive snake. Dylan is slammed by the water and knocked out of the dream, leaving Amari alone. Soaked in water and facing a huge snake, she realizes the solution, drops the crown, and wakes up. The class has a debriefing where it's revealed that only Amari and Dylan got the whole challenge right. They stuck together, ignored the peaceful monster, attacked the disguised one, and picked the most valuable item. It wasn't the crown, it was the water, because they were in a desert. Lara is furious and prepares to leak the video, but it's not on her phone anymore. Dylan has Amari's back. After moving on to the next phase of tryouts, Amari and Dylan sneak into Vanquish's old office to look for clues. Amari guesses Quinn's computer password and finds that on the day they went missing, he had two appointments. One to contact someone called K.H., and one with Director Horace of the Department of Good Fortunes and Bad Omens. Sounds like he's their next step. 
Amari goes back to the dorms and finds hateful messages scrawled on the walls. It seems like nobody wants Amari in the bureau. Well, fine then. She'll just go. Elsie's family sends a town car to pick them both up for the weekend, and they stop at Amari's apartment. Amari shows Elsie around, then Elsie heads home, and Amari decides to practice spells alone. Dylan contacts her and teleports in using one of his dad's devices, then helps Amari figure out an illumination spell. He then shows her the second half of the book, which contains the dark magic, including one to make someone see their worst fears. Amari doesn't like this and tells Dylan he shouldn't mess around with that stuff either. He concedes and instead shows her an illusory forest he's been working on. He lets Amari contribute to it, and she finds making illusions a lot easier with Dylan around. Dylan takes Amari back to her apartment and leaves, and Amari notices that there are detectives talking to her mom. They're closing Quentin's missing persons case for now, and statistically he's probably gotten mixed up with gangs like so many other black kids. Amari isn't having this sort of talk and tells the detectives off. She heads to the roof to cool down, and Jaden finds her. He says he's trying to get out of his gang and asks if she and Quentin will help him when he does. She agrees and then gets a message on her phone. It's a video of hybrids attacking Van Helsing Manor, and it's been sent to everyone in the Bureau. Okay, I just gotta say how, I, like, uh, the reveal that Dylan is the magician girl, <laughs> I wrote that it's as disappointing a reveal as being Gossip Girl. Wow, spoiler alert. Oh, boo, for a show that's, like, 15 years old at this point, and, like, no one cares, but... Okay, trying to find the rest of my notes here. I think that there was just a slight misstep with the story, and that's like Lara just happening to be there and seeing her doing spells. I thought that was weird, especially since we kind of established earlier when um they're like, okay, well, maybe the Van Helsing twins know something about the disappearance and we can like compare notes. And um Elsie was like, okay, well, the only way you're going to do that is if we're at the party because they don't hang out in the dorms. Like they hang out like where their dad has a apartment or whatever. Right. So why was she down there? Right. So I was like, what? And then, then when she's just like, yeah, now I have this picture about it. And I'm like, cool. Tell Dylan he'll erase it. We're fine. <laughs> <laughs> we still had like too much time to stress. But then we wouldn't get that great moment of like her going in and being like, are you guys on a date? And Magnus like, what's it to you if we are? And she's like, nothing. But like, she's slumming it by being with you, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Just like she's there, like she's traumatized and like ready to like quit the thing, but enough time to like roast him. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, and then my first red flag for Dylan was him instantly spotting that that uh, junior agent wasn't really a junior agent. Like it kind of took Amari like a second. Is like, okay, I just asked her, has she left this room? And she, you know, like she deducted it that way. Like, oh, he's right that this is not a real prison but he knew right away so i was just like oh like calls the like doesn't it you little creep like so i was just like that's kind of a slight ding against him i think like right now because i think anybody could have attacked the zombie incorrectly because what's all our video games about what's all the horror movies we see like the zomb there's no good zombies in any of those movies so one of my only notes for this section before the that part of the tryout is how funny I found the idea of uh, boogie people, boogie persons, being allowed to work anywhere that there is a permission to terrorize zoning permit. <laughs> like, just the just the level of, like, documentation. That was a very Josh, yeah. That was a very Josh joke. 
And how many forms of ID do you need to present in order to get that get approval for this? Okay, and then the icky part. But when she comes back to her room and sees, like, I can't help but picture a racist caricature of what the picture of her must have looked like. Oh, Cause right. Because she just says, a black, a black girl. It doesn't say, that's me. It just... So I'm just picturing, like, the worst thing someone could actually draw. Yeah. And, um... X's for eyes and the stake in the heart and then all of them starting to chant and I said they all start chanting like the good little Hitler youth they are because mm-hmm. I don't know how to tell anybody this but if you're in a huge group telling someone they don't belong or someone thinks not allowed and you're all chanting you're on the wrong side like immediately immediately you're like anything good's not coming from no one's ever chanting like like rarely is it ever something good I, I can't even think of an example of like a, a good time to be all like no, uh, oh like maybe like no baby no baby hitters allowed or something or no no people who drink milk from the carton allowed you know something like that. <laughs> the worst of the okay. worst, truly. <laughs> people who hit babies that are crying in public that that's happened. I've read news articles of people who've done that, but yeah, if you're talking about like saying like no. I was just so grossed out by that. I was just like, oh, my God, leave and don't come back. It was like my first thought was just uh-huh. like, that is so not safe. And they couldn't keep them out of her room to do that. And like Laura's like, I didn't do it. I'm like, bullshit, you didn't do it. Like, who who else has made this their hobby to like torture this kid? Right. Anyway, and then she gets taken home and she doesn't even get like a break in her own house. Because that driver comes up and is like, this neighborhood is so bad. It's like really bad. And I was just like, stop, stop. This isn't even microaggressions anymore. This, we're in macro at this point. Oh, and, and, and Elsie's saying, like, um, they're like, okay, well, then I guess I'll see you Monday. And Amari's like, I don't know about that. And then Elsie's like, I think you're being a coward. It's like, she just got a death threat, bitch. Like, what? Plus, she's 12. She's a literal child. And I'm like, why didn't they call the parent about this? Like, I mean, I know they'd be like, um, it's, it's like, oh, this is all magic and secret, but this is really serious. It's a threat. And I don't think it was treated with the seriousness it deserved to be. So I was just sitting the whole time like, no, excuse, am I the only adult? What's happening? Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of the people that were in charge of that situation were also prejudiced themselves. If it had been up to Magnus, I think everyone would have been kicked out that year. Yeah. Except, except for like her and. Yeah, he's like, know, fine, I'll start, Elsie. I'll start a, a new bureau and it's just me, Agent Fiona, and Amari. And you know what? We'll and still accomplish Quentin the comes same back, amount. Good. Yeah. All the rest of you, I can't deal with your crap. Because uh, like Magnus is like 100% like over it, like the whole book. And I'm, I'm there for that energy. I wanted to highlight a uh, much more, uh, a much nicer part of this section, which is the story about Amari getting a bicycle. Right, yeah. Her dad promised her one, and then, like, I don't know, got drunk and was like, she ain't my kid, and like, all gross on the phone. And um, Quentin came, you know, stepped up and got her that that bike. Or um, probably the mom did got it, and Quentin was just like, I don't need a present this year. Yeah, to make sure his little sister got. Because yeah. the bike was supposed to be Amari's birthday present, and then her dad like didn't even bother to show up or anything. And then 
by the time Christmas rolls around, Quentin has figured out a situation for them wherein he gets nothing, and she gets the new bike. And it's like, he's one of the real ones. For sure, yeah. Like, it was really cool to see, like, I was like, okay, Quentin's a good guy, but, like, how much of this is, like, we're just kind of being told that he is a good guy, or, like, you know, it's kind of this, like, abstract thing, but I like the solidifying and being like, no, 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 through and through, he's in, like, his his head is harder in the right place, like, always. And, like, that's really cool to see that you're not, like, that's not really called into question except by racist police. Totally, yeah. We see that through Jaden, too. Yeah. Jaden's only in his predicament now because of Quentin disappearing because he used to, Quentin used to tutor him. Yes. And, you know, it was kind of like this mentor for him for like, hey, this is how you could be this, you know, this whole neighborhood and like, oh, this is a bad neighborhood. You could internalize that and have that be your life or you could try and rise above it. And I'm going to help you because like I got out of it and I'm, you know, extending a hand and helping, which is a nice thing to do. Yeah. Yeah, Quentin's awesome. Yeah, when Amari and Jaden are talking back at the apartment, he says, uh, he's like, I get it, it can't be easy having Quentin Peters as your brother. It's like being the second best basketball player in the whole world, but your brother is the best. So it's like, yeah, yeah sure, everyone else thinks that you're you're good at stuff, but like, you always know that, like, you know exactly who's ahead of you, and they live with you. And there's a very specific sort of, like, pressure that would go along with that i like how she kind of like had that mental connection of like well wait i've been comparing me to him when he's literally his power's magical aptitude yeah (laughs) so that's not even a fair rubric so (laughs) let's quit doing that to myself i'm pretty cool of where i am especially with Jaden saying like yeah everyone in the neighborhood looks up to you just like oh those peters kids you know and she's like well quentin's the great one he's like well you got into that school yeah. You don't just get into that school just because you're like, oh, I guess I'm okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I like that she kind of got a little boost from that. So mm-hmm. even though this horrible thing happened, at least she got home to hear those encouraging words. And yeah. So it wasn't all for nothing. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I'm ready to move on if you. Yeah, I think I think that's it. Okay. Dylan contacts Amari. And says that his family is okay, but other legacy families didn't fare so well after the hybrid attack. Things are getting serious. After the weekend, Amari returns to the Bureau and sets up a meeting with Director Horace. He takes her on a magic carpet ride to read her constellations, and sees a vision of Amari, represented by a bird, being protected by a snake, which represents another magician, presumably Dylan. Near her is a two-headed snake, which is a symbol Horace isn't clear on. He then tells her that when Quinton met with him... He was trying to learn if Maria was going to betray the Bureau. Amari reports back to Dylan, who is upset at the findings, and asks Amari to let him try and prove Maria's innocence. Amari agrees and heads to her next class, which teaches the use of stun sticks, which are basically tickle tasers. Uh, Dylan surprises her with high-quality sky sprints of her own, since partners take care of each other. After class, Amari and Elsie go to the library to research the Black Book. The Black Book is a supremely powerful spellbook that the Bureau has kept safe from magicians for a long time, and is the thing Moreau wants most. They learn that the book can only be opened with the Black Key, which has been passed down between secret key holders separate from the Bureau for generations. Key holder. That must be who Quentin was contacting before he disappeared. But why? 
Uh, I'm going to keep going with the synopsis, but I do just want to say the Black Book was first talked about a good bit earlier in this. Uh, I just didn't have a place to work it into the synopsis, but it's not like it's suddenly a, like, Deus Ex dropped way late into the story. It's, yeah, it's been said. that literally happened. That literally happened to me, too, with my notes. I was like, I never wrote about the Black Book. <laughs> but I was like, it's damn there. it, you keep Brandon mulling us. Soon it's time for the second tryout, which is a treasure hunt across the Bureau. One of the recruits learned that this would be the next tryout ahead of time and leaked it to the others, so everyone is a little more prepared than usual. Amari and Dylan race around various parts of the Bureau, which is fun and imaginative, but listen, the synopsis is getting really, really long, so I am going to gloss over most of it. At the end of it, an agent asks if Amari and Dylan cheated. They admit to having advanced information and pass the test. The info was leaked by the department on purpose to test the recruits' integrity. Amari and Dylan move on to the top eight, but Lara doesn't. She didn't admit to having the advanced information. The remaining recruits are briefed on the final exam, and it's brought to their attention that everyone except Amari will have to demonstrate their supernatural abilities. How her test will be handled is still up for debate. At dinner, Lara harasses Amari with her old disciplinary record, and Amari creates an illusion of herself that smashes Lara's face into a plate of spaghetti. Amari doesn't know how she made this illusion, or how it's able to interact with the real world. Weird. Amari goes to the library and finds a gossip article about Quentin that says he sent a second sealed case to be kept with Magnus in the event of his death or disappearance. Amari goes to Magnus and learns that the case is real, but can only be opened by Amari once she is accepted as a junior agent. Amari lets Magnus in on some of what they found, and finds a strong ally in him. He tells Amari to prove everyone wrong about her, to become such a good recruit that nobody can overlook her. The final exam approaches, and Amari is exhausted from cramming. What's worse is that some of the parents have signed a petition for Amari to be disqualified. Dylan wants to help Amari, and offers for her to use his demonstration time to show off her abilities and change people's minds about her. To ease Amari's mind for a bit, Elsie invites her to a traditional recruit event, sneaking out for the All Soul Festival, where they get to talk to ghosts and eat ghost food. At the festival, Amari meets the ghost of Madame Violet, who offers to trade a secret for some helpful advice. Elsie offers a secret of her own. The reason she hasn't transformed yet is because she can only do so through an act of courage, and she's a coward. Madame Violet tells Amari that an illusionist should never trust that which giggles and grins. Cryptic. Lara finds Amari and pesters her some more, and seriously, when has this ever gone well for her? Amari uses the fear spell to make Lara think Maria has been confirmed dead, and Amari quickly decides to never use dark magic again. Alright, so my other red flags for Dylan. First was, I didn't mention it previously when we covered it, but him being like, here's all the evil spells. Right. He was like, yeah, this stuff is interesting, but look at this stuff. Ooh, and she's just like, I don't want any part of that. Oh, can I just, before I, I find it really hilarious that Lara didn't pass the thing. It's completely not surprising, because when they said, like, oh, we are testing the integrity, and I was like, okay, so Lara didn't pass, and then sure enough, the next page, Lara didn't pass. But somehow this is Dylan's fault, even though if those two, if Lara and Dylan had paired up, they would both be out, because he didn't own up, Amari did. Right. And if those two had been paired up, we both know that Lara's the alpha of the two of them. Yes. So she would have been all like, no, we didn't cheat. Absolutely not. And then you're both out, you know? Mm-hmm. So I was like, 
bolder that you think that you would have passed if you had your brother <laughs> with you. You can <laughs> go into the, like, the scavenger hunt thing as much as you want. I just didn't want to address every bit of that in the synopsis because oh, totally. that was, there's a lot of departments that they visit in a short amount of time. And I think it, I think it's, it's doing more, it. <laughs> I think it's mostly just useful as a way of expressing the scope of the bureau and just world building right. for other, other areas that could be explored in depth in later books, uh, and less vital for the plot of this specific story. That's what I was going to say. Basically just that, uh, this was like a fun way for us to see the departments it was like through, through like solving these clues and finding these, like all these places. Yeah. There was one part that I really did enjoy, which is they are passing uh, some people at a call center, and they're overhearing some of the the phone calls that they're working yeah. on. Yeah, you can't hypnotize everybody. There's also, uh, you say your mother-in-law is haunting you? Assuming what you're saying is true, might you deserve it? And yeah. try two plus two. The calculator said it equals five? Oh, this is serious. The math gods are clearly upset with you. You'll be wanting to make an in-person apology. You can make an appointment at the nearest tax office. Um, uh-huh. I want to know what would happen if, like, if someone finished that scavenger hunt test and straight up did not hear the information beforehand and just managed to stumble their way through it. Like, what would they have done with that last bit? They're like, this, what, how do I score that? <laughs> You're going sideways on what should have been like a a, a, a one-way axis here. <laughs> I noticed, and this is something that I think I could see some people having a problem with, and it initially kind of threw me off as well, but I learned to go along with it and I am fine with it, which is that there are a good number of elements of like the magical world here that he doesn't really go into like deep explanation of. Like he doesn't, he doesn't spend a lot of time, like, when they're doing the sky sprints, he doesn't spend a whole lot of time talking about the mechanics of, like, walking on air and, like, getting wobbly, and then, like, like he just kind of is like, this is a thing, and this is what it does, and you just kind of go along with it. And I could see that if some people were like, I feel like, it, you know, these things aren't really explained, they're just kind of, like, thrown at you, but it's like, I don't know, that's not really the focus of the story. It's like, it doesn't really bug me. Plus, I doubt they're going into it and explaining it to her. Yeah. So... Because for I mean, almost everybody at the Bureau, it's like, well, you're like your third sibling to go through this, so you've seen this plenty of times before, because everyone's a legacy kid. Totally, yeah. So I think there was a lot of that going into it. I don't know if I have any more notes or what my other Dylan red flag was. Well, his surprise when she's like, okay, we knew, we knew, <laughs> immediately. It's like, when she, like, owned up. Yeah. Seriously, though, after, so after, like, the third, like, Laura picking on Amari, I'm just like, every time! Find- like, what do you expect to happen? Please find a new hobby. That's, <laughs> <laughs> like, what I was feeling. Okay. The final exam arrives, and Amari uses Dylan's time to host an illusionist TED Talk. It's not a 100% success, but the audience as a whole seems more receptive to her than they did before. Before the exam concludes, however... Hybrids attack the Bureau, and everything is is thrown into chaos. Amari heads towards the vault where the Black Book is kept and sees Maria Van Helsing stealing it away. This is bad. Soon the attack is nullified, but the book is gone. 
Amari finds out she passed the exam, but only because Agent Fiona lowered the requirements to ensure Director Van Helsing's prejudice wouldn't disqualify her immediately. Because she passed, she is now a junior agent and is able to open Quentin's second case. Inside is the name and location of the keyholder. Quentin had been trying to head Moreau off and protect the Black Key himself, but might have been too late. Magnus and Amari decide to interrogate Moreau one more time, and when they do, Moreau uses the phrase giggles and grins. Amari then realizes the truth. The only lie Moreau told her in their first meeting was that he was Moreau. This is one of his apprentices in disguise. The real Moreau was never captured. Rutro. <laughs> Director Van Helsing calls a meeting where he demotes Amari out of spite, then accuses Magnus of being a traitor. Apparently his codes were used to deactivate the, bureau the Bureau's shields during the attack. Amari realizes that she needs to do something, so she, Dylan, and Elsie take matters into their own hands. They need to get to the keyholder, so Dylan finds a way to get them to where the airships are kept. They're pursued, but Elsie stays behind to buy them time, and this act of courage allows her to breathe fire. Amari and Dylan reach the ships, where they find Agent Fiona. Against her better judgment, she gives them her cell phone number in case they need her to rescue them. As a member of the Bureau, she's not allowed to go after the keyholder herself, uh, and then she lets them use Vanquish's ship. Amari and Dylan arrive at the keyholder's location, a medical office out in the boonies, and find they're too late. Moreau is there and already has the key. He reveals he has Quentin and Maria with him, and plans to use their life force to power a spell from the Black Book that will revive Vladimir. Dylan then reveals himself to be Moreau's apprentice the whole time. He used his illusion to make it seem like Maria was the thief, and used his technomagic to hack the shields. In fact, Dylan helped get Maria kidnapped in the first place, He's sick of how magicians have to hide and are ostracized, and wants the respect he deserves. Moreau begins to summon Vladimir, and then there's another twist. Dylan betrays Moreau and takes the power of the Black Book for himself. The Knight Brothers are over, and it's time for Dylan to be the big magician on campus. Vladimir is sent back to where he was coming from, and Dylan absorbs Moreau's power until the magician crumbles to dust. He explains that two-headed snakes represent magicians that have taken another's power. So who was the snake guarding Amari in the constellation? We don't know. Anyways, Dylan offers Amari a place at his side. They were both born magicians, not made through apprenticeship, and their magic resonates with each other to become even more powerful. Amari refuses, so Dylan tries to take her magic. In response, Amari feels a rush of power inside herself, and the illusory Amari returns. She casts a spell of her own, and everything goes white. Um, do you want me to stop there, or should I just take us all the way to the end? Uh, stop there for a second, because yeah. now I remembered what my other Dylan red flag was. Sure. And that was like, okay, all these hybrids are attacking. They get, they get that uh, video footage of, like, all the hybrids attacking the legacy houses and stuff. Mm -hmm. And one kid loses both his parents and has to drop out of the thing and everything. Dylan got out of that with a scratch, a little Band-Aid. And it just so happened his mom and his sister were, like, out of town when it happened. So I'm like, I don't know about that. So that was the red flag for me. So he was gathering so many. So I kind of saw this twist coming. But um, I was surprised by how sad it made me as well. Because I was just like, oh, I guess this kid just sucks. But it turns out, like, he met Moreau, like, online. And this guy basically groomed him yeah. online to do this. So I was just like, oh, that's super gross. Yeah. I don't feel good about any of this. Yeah. 
when it did the uh, initial reveal that Dylan was the apprentice, I was like, ah, this is kind of a bummer reveal. But then when it double twists and he just like kills the other night brother, I'm like, okay, this is at least more interesting. Totally. Yeah. (laughs) I do like that he did that, but I don't like that he was going to kill her too. He's like besties. She's like, no, we're worsties. (laughs) He's just like, (laughs) wants to take her power. Yeah. And no, she's just going to turn into a knight. And then like, Whatever. It was cool. I like that. Yeah, because, like, the, the magic Amari is, she's, like, all decked out in, like, isn't it, like, glowing armor or something? She's, like, she's ready yeah. to go. She is ready to go. Like, here we go. Speaking of hearing we go, we, you can probably <laughs> take us home Hearing now. we go. All right. Hearing we going. Amari wakes up at the bureau and needs a briefing on what's going on. Quentin and Maria are back at the bureau. Maria has regained consciousness, but Quentin is still on the road to recovery. However, because of Maria's telepathic powers, she can help Amari speak to Quentin. Amari's mom arrives too, and is allowed in on the secret of the bureau so she can see her son again. There's a little family reunion, and Amari gets a chance to speak to Maria about Dylan and magic. Dylan is in confinement, and Maria and Amari both miss the boy they thought they knew. Maria also lets Amari in on a secret. There's a whole gaggle of good magicians out there, and they'll contact her when the time is right. Turns out the time is right pretty quickly, because later that day Amari meets a man named Cosmo from the League of Magicians. He tells her that the illusory Amari is a manifestation of Amari's magic taking control in dire situations. He also tells her that she and Dylan are the start of a new generation of magicians, and the connection that their blood magic holds will be a source of power and struggle that will shape the world. He invites her to join the League, then disappears. Back at home, Amari meets with Jaden. She has been granted a favor from the Supernatural World Congress for her work in stopping Moreau and Dylan, and her request is to allow Jaden into the Bureau. Hopefully this will give him the second chance he needs to reach his full potential. That was the best ending. It's a pretty good ending. So, Fiona, Agent Fiona was not allowed to, like, go after the keyholder herself because it would jeopardize her position at, in the bureau cuz that was like part of the agreement and i don't yeah. remember i don't remember why like i don't know if quinton was just like risking his position to do that when he went for well see it. they already they cuz they already had the black book so them also being like well we're going to have the key too it'd be like no you can't have yeah. both of them those things can't be together what kind of power play are you trying to make yeah so he was going after it with the best of intentions right. But intentions don't mean for shit because something like this could happen, which yeah. it did. Um, and um, yeah. But the reason why but Amari the... is able to go after it and not be punished for that specific part is specifically because director Van Helsing had demoted her out of spite. Yeah. Yeah. Shouldn't have done that, bitch. <laughs> um, I also love but... I love that when they're like doing a deep the debriefing afterwards, it, it she was like. Agent Magnus is like, what in the world were you thinking? And she's like, I was following that look you gave me when Director Van Helsing accused you of letting the hybrids in. And he's like, that was a help Agent Fiona get the black key look, not a go save the world on your own look. Well, you might want to work on your looks then. (laughs) Yeah. I kind of figured, like, when he sent that look and she's like, okay, I'm into this. I'm like, what if that's not what the look meant? It look meant go back to your room and be safe. So... I don't think this is the case, but I just wanted to, like, double-check if you thought this was the case. So, was Quentin's tutoring program 
was he actually, like, working with kids in the Bureau, but, like, Jaden had his memory erased of those events and, like, made it, and now he just thinks it was regular tutoring? Because Amari's like, I'm starting back up the tutoring again. And so for a second I was like, is that supposed to be a reference to, like, that he had been, like, part of the magical world before? And then I was like, I think that's more of, like, metaphorically speaking. No, I think the tutoring was just tutoring. Okay, that's what I thought, and then I just wanted to... I had that double take. But yeah, this is really fun. This is a really fun book. We found we found our new Fablehaven. Just don't Fablehaven us. Don't Fablehaven 5 us, please. You can Fablehaven 1 through oh. 3, and we can maybe take a 4. But don't Fablehaven 5 us. What would you do if, like, in the third book, like, Quentin's back, and he, like, punches a horse? <laughs> Because Quentin's basically the Patton Burgess of this world. <laughs> just too good. <laughs> yeah, just too good. And then he quenches a centaur. And then I laugh about it for, like, the rest of my life. Who's the black Brendan Fraser? Um, yeah, who's universally beloved? I'm not thinking of any names. My, my my brain, I can't think of anyone. Like, my brain just turned into, like, this uh, tumbleweed. He's too, going. Old, he's too old right now, but, like, Michael B. Jordan? He's pretty rad. Or what about the guy who played Cheaty on The Good Place? Why I can't I'm blinking blinking on his name. I haven't seen The Good like Place. He, oh, you'd love it. You would adore it. It's exactly your aesthetic of like goofy humor, but like heartfeltness and like joy and positivity without being saccharine. Right. Yeah. You'd enjoy it. But um Yeah. So we're definitely going to be reading more of these. Um, the second book comes out this summer, I think, at the end of August. Um, oh, for serious? Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, and uh, That's so soon. Yeah, I know. We don't have a <laughs> slot for it until 2023. <laughs> oh, my God. How do we go from, like, having nothing to read to, like, everything? Right? Oh, because I purposely sought some stuff out. Including this. This was an impulse buy on Amazon. This was a great impulse buy. Well, it was impulse, and then I checked Goodreads, and it had a 4.5 average rating, which is what I would give it. So I'm like, yeah, 4.5 sounds, that sounds like what I'd give this. And, uh, it was the same over at, um, uh, the story graph. They, they were also averaging at 4.5 over there. So. Yeah, a lot of other people felt the same way about this. I really hope this becomes kind of like the next big thing, like a kid coming in. You know how they like want like Percy Jackson or the other one. But but this one, I want this to become the thing where they come in wanting it. Yes. I was also worried that they try to make Dylan and Amari's uh, uh, relationship romantic, and I'm glad it didn't go that way. Oh, my gosh. I just realized that there wasn't any romance in this whatsoever. None. Wow. What a refreshing story. What a refreshing story. <laughs> or if it does go that way, like, let her be a little bit older. Right. I don't know how many books he's con- contracted to write, but... There's already a, there's already an entry, like an untitled entry for book three on uh, Goodreads, so... Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, think, I think... think the reason why he structured it the way he did was to theoretically do, like, every summer until she's 18 and becomes a full-fledged agent, so it could be like a... Like a six book, six, seven book series? If he did it just with the summers? Yeah. Well, I'd, so far, I'd be okay with it. Yeah. 
I mean, things could fall apart in the second book, and we'll go, never mind, but um, I kind of don't think that'll happen. No, I don't think so. I hope we don't play this back later and go like, oh. Give her how optimistic we, we were. We were rooting for you! We were all rooting for you! Um, but yeah, like, so when I personally rate things 4.5, I round it to 5 for the sake of Goodreads, so. Okay, if you want to, if you want to, uh, unless you thought this was more 4, then we could. No, it was, it's a 4.5 on my personal thing, so I just gave it a 5 for my personal Goodreads, so. So then for the podcast rating. Are you okay with it being a 5, or do you want it to be a 4? I think it's fair to round it up to 5, because... Four feels low. Four feels low, and like it doesn't have it doesn't have the same like heart wrenching emotional gut punches because it's supposed to be more of an adventure story. But it's a darn fun adventure story, and like I haven't been excited for like I haven't been excited for a YA series in quite some time. So yeah, same. I mean, I still I'm still super into uh, small spaces and can't wait for the last book. But then that's the last book, right? Then we're done. Yeah. So it's good that we're hopping on another train. Yes. Is it's just too bad that uh, the Winter House series didn't really appeal to us. Yeah, it's like if I ever read the second one down the road, I wouldn't be like upset about reading it. But I'm not like I'm not seeking, seeking it out. out. Yeah. yeah. Well, that was Amari and the Night Brothers by B.B. Alston. We definitely recommend it. Next month we are going to be reading Chains by Lori. Is it Lori Halls Anderson? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so we're going to be reading that for July. It's going to be our first historical book that we've had on this podcast. And I think we're doing that intentionally because our next, like, at least three books are all, like, paranormal horror. So we want yeah, something on, gonna, like, a different... we're going to be deep in it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to be, like, educational, and then we're just all just going to be R.L. Stein for a bit. <laughs> All right, well, thanks everybody for listening. Hello, Fellow Kids is hosted by Mara and Josh and produced by Josh. Music provided by Ben Ash. You can visit him at benash.com. If you'd like to contact us, you can email us at hfkpodcast at gmail.com. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at hfkpodcast. And we will see y'all in July with Chains. Bye! Bye!